Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're going to be in James chapter 2 today, and I've entitled this chapter, Faith That Works by Love. And so we're seeing a trend here. We're seeing a thread running through the book of James concerning faith and also concerning love. And we're going to see that more in depth uh, today as we uh, get into chapter 2. But before we begin, let's hear from the psalmist. Notice that uh, the revelation is filled with hymns. And here's one in particular. Notice what it says. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Father God, as we enter into this study today, we ask you in the name of Jesus for the Holy Spirit to come alongside of us, uh, to help us. Lord, give us wisdom and revelation concerning your word. Uh, Show us your will. And Father, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right. Now, James chapter 2, like I said, I've entitled this chapter, Faith uh, That Works By Love. And we saw in chapter 1 how important it is uh, to have the wisdom of God. And if we're lacking in the wisdom of God, then we are to ask him that the scripture says he gives to all men liberally and ungrudgingly. But James says, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So is faith now becomes a very important component in our Christian life and especially uh, in view of the fact that uh, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ tells us. Remember, he said this in Mark eleven twenty two: have faith in God. That is an imperative. We have to have faith in God. Of course, God gave to us uh, a measure of faith when we were born again. Now, it's our responsibility to cause that faith to grow and to rise uh, up and cause us to uh, grow into spiritual maturity. So uh, we're going to look another at another aspect of faith and how faith works It works by love. So we'll go ahead and get into this uh, chapter right now, beginning in verse one. Notice uh, James says this, my brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Of course, we know what respect to persons means. It means we are not to show favoritism or to or to have any type of partiality. In other words, We're not to be a part of a party spirit in the church. We are to treat all men equally with respect. Doesn't necessarily mean that we agree on every point. But like somebody said of old, we can agree without being disagreeable or showing favoritism. Uh, Now, this uh, Greek word, it's pronounced and this is a this is a long word, prosopolepsia. And it is a word that is found only in the New Testament. So it's a Christian word. And actually, this word means that we uh, this word uh, respect to persons means to lift up the face on a person. In other words, uh, to be favorable towards that person or to show partiality towards him. And James is saying that we have the faith of God and the faith of God teaches us. And the Lord of glory teaches us not to have favorites or to show favoritism. 
And of course, he uses, uh, James uses this example in verse 2. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that wears the fine clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Verse 4. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Notice how this comparison is so relevant today. Uh, we have people show up in church, and they have a large a large uh, pocketbook, and uh, they dress very fine, and you can tell that they're people of wealth, and they come into the church expecting to be treated with favoritism or partiality. I can't tell you how many of my pastor friends had, a, had an individual or individuals in their church that would give large money in tithe and in offerings and then expected some type of favoritism uh, to be shown by the pastor or by the board toward them. And so when the pastor refused to do that, well, then they took their pocketbook and they went somewhere else. And so and I credit that pastor with doing what the word of God tells us to do. And I fault people who have a lot of money thinking that their money can buy influence. Now, that may be true in the business world, but that is not to be true in the church. Everyone is to be treated just the same. As a matter of fact, the first century church, many of the pastors in the early churches were slaves or bond servants of the masters and the masters were the church members. And so when it came time for church, it was it was the servant who was the pastor was the recognized head of the church as well as the elders. And so uh, this is the should be the standing standing operating the standard operating procedure of churches today. We are not to show partiality in any way, shape or form towards those who we think uh, have more money than somebody that is really dirt poor. We are to show the same respect to everyone that walks into our church, whether they become members or whether they're just visitors. And notice that uh, James says this, uh, that we are become we are to become people or we are to become judges of evil thoughts. Notice about that judges of evil thoughts. And really, uh, James is telling us that we are by showing our, you know, by showing discrimination, one person over another. Uh, we are revealing our wrong motives. And actually, uh, we're at we're acting like hypocrites, you know, showing wrong motives showing evil intentions when that should not be once named within the church. Now, verse 5 says this, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to them that love him? Notice that. There are many people that have chosen not to pursue earthly riches, but rather to spend their days in prayer and fasting and towards spiritual things. I have friends that don't work full-time jobs, that they get along five, working two or three days a week, but then they would rather spend that other, that time that they have free, they'd rather spend it in prayer, they'd rather spend it studying the Word of God, building themselves up, 
making themselves a real blessing to the church and to the Christian community. And so why should we disregard these people who are spiritual? I remember years ago in a particular church I was in, there was this uh, banker that became uh, started coming to the church and joined the church. Well, you could tell by listening to him, he was not a spiritual man. Really, spiritually, he was a babe. But yet, because he was a banker, he was placed upon the church board. In preference toward those who had been members for years, who were spiritually mature, and people who prayed. I'm telling you the truth. I would rather have somebody on my board, if I was pastoring, who was a faster, who prayed, who was spiritually mature and knew and could understand and could accept and receive the wisdom of God rather than somebody who was just uh, in the business world, uh, was considered to be somebody of renown, but yet had no spiritual sense about him whatsoever. I think a lot of the problems in the churches today is that the elder board and deacon board are filled with people who are not spiritual, but who are carnal. And the only reason they're on the board is because of favoritism. And this is wrong. We need to have our leadership made up of spiritual people, people who love God, who love the word of God, and who are experienced in the things of God and not a novice. Isn't that what uh, Paul told Timothy? He said, lay no hands suddenly on any person, neither be a partaker of men's sins. And then when Paul was laying out the, the qualifications for a bishop, for a bishop or a pastor, he said, it, you are not to pick one who is a novice, someone who is susceptible to the schemes, plots, and the devices of the devil, somebody who may be lifted up in pride. And so Paul, I mean, James is very particular about this. And notice he says again in verse five, he says, hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? That's who we need to be looking towards. We need to be looking towards people who are rich in faith and not just because they have or don't do not have money. Verse six says this, but ye have despised the poor, the poor do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seat. So this was an indictment uh, in this letter uh, that uh, James addressed uh, to fellow Hebrew believers. He says, you've despised the poor. And of course, you know, we need to understand the Jewish mindset that they believe that wealthy people had abundant favor of God and that the those that were poor uh, did not. There was some type of curse that was upon them. But we know from Christian doctrine that that is not the truth. That is not the way it is. There are reasons why some people are poor. Maybe they don't want to work. Maybe they don't have a lot of education. Maybe there's something wrong with them physically that they're not able to work. But there are those that have chosen to seek after treasures in heaven and not in treasures on earth. And these are the people that are valuable in the church. They're valuable in the leadership. We want to know uh, people who pray because they can get a hold of the wisdom of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. And verse seven says, do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called. Rich people in James's day were those that blasphemed the name of Jesus. What other name would James be referring to? The name of Christ. So why do we want to show favoritism 
or partiality uh, to people that are blasphemous only because they have money. Well, that's not to be named in the church. The church is to be free of hypocrisy and falsehood. We are to be the truth because we are to speak the truth. Amen. Now, verse eight, this sums up this section. If ye fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. So this passage here, it forms the basis of uh, Paul's ex- um, James's exhortation. We are to walk in love towards one another. And that means that we are not to show partiality. Now, I know that you and I are going to have people in the church that we're naturally closer to than others. But when it comes to the things of God and when it comes to making judgments according to the things of God, you know that we are to be without partiality. You can have your very, very best friend in church. But if that friend is involved in sin, then the love of God should provoke us to go to that person and tell them they're wrong and not to overlook that fault just because we, you know, like that person. I I remember uh, one particular church that there was somebody on staff of that church was involved in sin and the pastor and the board overlooked that sin because of that person's position. And because that she or he was favored uh, in that particular congregation. See, that's wrong. That's sin. And that's what James is teaching, teaching us that it is sin to show favoritism and partiality, especially when it comes uh, to our place in the, uh, the church's place in the community, which should be a place of sanctification, a place of separation and a place of holiness. Amen. So. Once again, verse eight, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Ye do well. So we are to be fair to each and every person that comes into the church or that is a member of the church. All right. Now, James, in beginning in verse nine, he begins to speak about how faith works by obedience. Notice what he says. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced or convicted of the law as transgressors. And that's what the Old Testament spoke. That's what the Jews knew. That's what they were taught. Leviticus 19.15, you shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. And we are to judge one another according to the word of God, but we are to do it in love. Amen. Verse 10, for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now, if you commit no adultery and yet if you kill or murder, you are become a transgressor, a transgressor of the law. So no one who is walking in the love of God is going to break the law of God. Amen. We fulfill the law of God because we have the lawgiver on the inside of us. And it becomes our nature to please God and to keep the law of God. Now, I know there's times where our mind gets away from us. Our tongue gets away from us and we do make errors. We do make mistakes. We do at times 
We do sin, but this is not the rule. This is the exception. And when we know that we have broken God's law and we've broken fellowship with God, our heart, because we're born again, our heart breaks. We repent. We ask God to forgive us. And if we have offended anyone, we go to that person and we ask them to forgive us. And we make a pledge within ourselves that we're never going to do that again. We're never going to go down that road. Amen. Isn't that what the Apostle John says? You know, the person, the perfect person, he keeps himself. Notice that he keeps himself and the wicked one touches him not. Amen. Verse 12 says, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. The very word of God we uphold is the very word that's going to judge us on the last day. Amen. Notice that. So speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. So we're going to be judged by the law of love. And if we step out of that law, then, you know, we're going to have to face the Lord Jesus. We're going to have to explain to him why we did not do what he commanded in his word to do. The Amplified Version says, so speak and so act as people should who are judged under the law of liberty. And we should know this. That the more obedient we are to the law of love, the more obedient that we are to the word of God, the freer we become and the more liberty in Christ that we enjoy. So we don't need to be entangled in the yoke of bondage through favoritism, through politics. You know, politics should not enter into the church at all. Now, we can talk politics, but we are not to be politicians. We are not to be political. We are not to throw. And I know I, I, I've witnessed this in my own uh, church when I was pastoring. There was a certain meeting that we were going to uh, address a, a particular issue. And I came and find out later that there were people who wanted me, you know, wanted the church to judge favorably towards this one decision. They were going behind the scenes. They were politicking. They were trying to convince enough people, you know, you need to really need to vote for this. You need to uh, we need to carry this motion. You need to vote in favor of it instead of just hearing the people and sense the spirit of God leading us in a certain direction. People began to politic and behind the lines to try behind the scenes to try to get people to vote in favor according to what they wanted. Not necessarily what God wanted, what they wanted. And see, this is wrong. People may do this in the political world, but they're not to do that in the church world. Amen. We are to pray. We are to uh, believe God and ask God for wisdom. And we are to wait on the direction of the Holy Spirit for him to guide and direct us how we are to pursue. Amen. So the more obedient we are to the word of God, to the law of liberty, then the more freedom and liberty in Christ that we are going to enjoy. Verse 13, for he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. Notice that for he shall have judgment without mercy or the person who is showing no mercy will receive no mercy at the judgment seat. Amen. For he shall have judgment without mercy that has shown no mercy. And mercy rejoices against judgment. God prefers mercy over judgment. That's why he's so long suffering towards us. That's why he's long suffering. Where many things that are going on in the church today. You know that 
people get this idea where God, you know, you know, they, they do something or they say something or they, a particular action taking place that is not uh, in agreement with the word of God. And so what they do is they make this judgment and they, they walk outside and they look up in the sky. There's no thunder clouds forming. There's no lightning. So they guess, you know, God is OK with that or maybe he's fallen asleep. No, God sees everything. He hears everything that we say or do. And he has commanded us to walk in love. Amen. Towards everyone and treat everyone with a pair of fair balances. Amen. For he shall have judgment without mercy. Notice what Jesus said. He said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So there will be no mercy shown towards those who have shown no mercy. But if we, because of the love of God, it's amazing how mercy and love are so close together. Mercy, compassion. Love is compassionate. But if we have shown mercy, then God's mercy will be shown towards us in the judgment. And I think that's very important for us uh, to understand that. So if we've shown favoritism or partiality, if we've shown out in church, if we've done things that, uh, that we shouldn't do, or if others have done things towards us that shouldn't have been done. Remember, we are to be a merciful people. We are to be a forgiving people. Amen. That invites the presence and the power of God into our midst. Amen. All right. This last section uh, I've entitled Faith Works by Corresponding Actions. Notice what uh, James writes here in verse 14. He says, what does it profit, my brethren, though a man say, he hath faith and have not works. Can faith save him? All right, now what works are we talking about? Works that prove our faith. Amen. Not works in order to get saved, but faith, but works that prove our faith. In other words, our works prove that we have a changed heart. It's like one one lady approached me in the grocery store one day years ago and was talking about taking in an orphan child. And she said, and this is how I'm going to go to heaven. And I couldn't disagree with her more. No, there's only one way you and I are going to get into heaven, and that's through the merits of Jesus Christ, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. And so genuine faith is always going to have corresponding actions, works that correspond with the faith that we profess and confess. Verse 15, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what does it profit? What is our faith profit? It profits nothing. <clears throat> but notice here in verse 17, even so faith, if it has not works, is dead being alone. And remember, when we were going through the book of Hebrews, what Paul wrote in chapter 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Love, the love of God, seeks the Father diligently. And if you and I are walking in the love of God, then we are going to be walking in the peace of God, and our faith is going to be strong, and it's going to work 
towards our benefit and also towards the benefit of others. Amen. Verse 18 says, yes, and a man may say, I have faith or you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. So if someone says, well, I have faith or you have faith and I have actions, I'm going to say, this is James talking, I'm going to say, you show me how anyone can have faith without actions or corresponding actions. And I will show you my faith by my actions. Amen. You see, we are to walk in faith and it doesn't and it's not supposed to be all talk. It's supposed to be our walk. Also, our words should line up with the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also our words of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ need to be corroborated by good works. Amen. Notice what uh, what the Apostle John wrote. He says, but whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him. How does the faith of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Amen. That's the New American Standard Version. Verse 19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. The devils also believe and tremble. This is a tremendous verse. What James is saying here. All right. Well, you believe in the doctrine of God. One God existing in three persons. God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. All these three are co-equal and co-eternal. Churches teach their people that over and over and over and over again. They memorize the Apostles Creed. And James is saying, well, you believe there's one God. Well, that's good, but it doesn't go far enough. Because the devils believe and they tremble. Why? Because the devils know that there is a God. They know that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And they know that there is the Spirit of the living God. They believe that. They know that. But see, they have no corresponding action. They are bound in darkness and in iniquity. And they absolutely, 100%, just like the faithful angels of God are 100% devoted uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Demons are 100% devoted and bound to the devil. And they will never, never, ever, ever be redeemed. They are co-signed to the regions of the damned. So what James is saying here, that just because you and I believe in doctrine, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've gone far enough. Do we believe in the doctrine of God? Yes, amen, brother. I do believe in the doctrine of God. Well, then the corresponding actions towards what we believe should tell everybody, not just ourselves, but those that we come into contact with that. Yes, I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I will not do anything or say anything that's going to bring shame to the name of Jesus. And there's a lot of that going on in the church world today. Verse 20 says this, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. See, the demons have no hope of salvation. In the same way, a man who claims to have faith in Christ, but he doesn't exert any corresponding action. In other words, there was a man I tried to witness to that said he was saved. He was a cursor. He was profane. He was a drinker. He probably took drugs. He was a hater. He sought revenge on people he thought that did him wrong. He had no corresponding actions to what he claimed to be. 
even though he said, yeah, I've been baptized in water, but yet no corresponding action. Well, that that man's faith is vain. Now, notice what else James says here. He says, was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? See how faith wrought with his works and by works was faith made perfect, complete. That's what we're talking about, having a complete faith through not just believing, but through corresponding action. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? Notice how this verse says that. That likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works. Amen. And then Paul ends and says this, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So there's as much necessity for faith to have works, and for these two, faith and works, to be united in a true believer as there is in the body and soul necessary to be united in order for a man to be alive. See, and this is the tenor of this chapter. Amen. Praise God. So faith without works is dead, but faith works by love. Heavenly Father, we bless you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your goodness and for your mercy and for the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us according to your word, Father. And we give you praise and thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.